or as I used to hear many of my Italian friends call it, Malachi. <laughs> it's actually pronounced Malachi, but we'll stick with that one since it is a Hebrew name. In thinking about preparing for today, so many positive examples of being a father ran through my mind. And to be honest, in addition to all the positive examples that I thought about, many negative ones ran through my mind as well. Fathers in the Bible, both good and bad. Fathers from history, both good and bad. Fathers from fiction or literature, both good and bad. So many examples that we can learn from, either by following their example or by avoiding their example. So where did my mind land? Marlin. Who? Our culture portrays being a man in in general and being a father specifically in usually either negative or comical ways. Yet I was drawn to one that is portrayed as loving, dedicated, caring, unwavering, and committed. Marlon. Pastor, who in the world is Marlon? Who is this man? Well, he's not a man. He's a fish. And he's the lead character in the Disney animated series, Finding Nemo. I know, your pastor's gone off the deep end, I know. You see, there are many examples throughout many types of entertainment where a father is portrayed either negatively or just as absent. In Monsters, Inc., going to Disney stuff, the father wasn't there at all. In Toy Story, there's no father portrayed at all. Even in The Lion King, there's a father in the beginning, but then he kind of disappears. And the story is about the son. But in Finding Nemo, this responsible and attentive father is present from beginning to end. And some will say, yeah, he's a positive example, but all of what is done in that movie is scripted and true. And we all know because life is generally never scripted. It seldom goes according to a plan. In real life, real things happen. Real issues arise. And real breaches are formed. And that's what leads me to Malachi chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse number one. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will, be, will set them on fire, says the Lord God Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. You will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And here's my focus today, verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with terrible destruction. Turning the hearts of fathers and children. This chapter is the final 
chapter in the Old Testament. It is followed by 400 years of silence as far as God speaking through prophets to the people of Israel. The next time God appears on the scene to the people of Israel is through a prophet dressed kind of oddly known as John the Baptist. This is a prophetic message. It speaks twice about this day that is coming, a reference to the day of the Lord. This is when Jesus returns and sets things right. Because we all know it doesn't take a tremendous amount of insight to just look around you and see things are not right. And Jesus will return one day, the day of the Lord, a day that is coming, and set things right. Jesus will return and intervene into the world scene. This is the day that, based on what we see around us, many today believe is a day that's soon approaching. Now, it's interesting to me that in all the things historically and even prophetically that can happen on the day of the Lord, all the things about making wrongs right and making it clear who is on the Lord's side and who is not, that the last verse of the New Testament speaks specifically about turning the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Now, many translations won't say that you may have won't say parents. It'll say fathers. The Hebrew word there literally actually means father or male parent. It's a masculine noun. And it's the final book, as I mentioned, in the Old Testament. And this final verse is interesting in that it gives a call to God's people. The entire book of Malachi is this call to the people of Israel, to God's people. Throughout the book, the prophet says God deserves the best we have to offer. And we can all say amen to that. He doesn't get our leftovers or our second best. He gave us his best, so we give him the best we have to offer. Malachi also tells the people of Israel his people should always be willing to change our way. We see so many changes, and this world gives the impression that it's God who needs to get on board with the way people want to do things. It's the other way around. People need to get right with God and get on board with what he's doing. And specifically, Malachi talks about family being a lifelong priority. That the families we're born into and the family circles that we uh, create through life is part of that. Malachi also talks about God's people should always be ready for his refining process. How many love it when God showers his love upon you? How many love it when God showers his correction upon you? <laughs> Let's just be honest. His refining process is just that. When the fire gets turned up and we get to see where we need to have things that are in our lives just kind of burn off. In all of this, interestingly, Malachi also talks about tithing. And although he talks about bringing the tithe into the storehouse, he makes it clear that everything that we possess, everything that we earn, everything that comes into us belongs to God. I've often heard people talk about it just seems so outrageous that anywhere in the Bible will talk about tithing, which is 10% of your income to God's work. Why would God want 10%? And I always respond with, aren't you glad he lets you keep 90? He could have done it the other way around. 
because it all belongs to him. And then it mentions that in the life of his people, there would be no room for pride, the wrong kind of pride. And then we get to the verses in chapter 4 that we should understand that the day is coming. It's going to be a good day for those who love and honor him and not so good a day for others. But at the conclusion of this tremendously prophetic book, this, this totally look at prophecy, there is a comment about fathers and children. The prophet declared to that nation, and he is declaring to us today, that this is what happens when God steps in. When God moves on the scene, when God moves in people's lives, people are changed, lives are restored, and captives are set free. And we thank God for all of that. And hearts are changed. And specifically, Malachi talks about fathers toward their children and children toward their fathers. So I want to make three points today. I want to talk about the heart of God. I want to talk about the heart of fathers and the heart of children. So I begin with the heart of God. There are so many ways we try to picture God to make him relevant and make him understandable with different pictures and illustrations that we use to get through to people in today's culture. And one I've heard before and I like to use, I think all of us can agree, our God is a heart surgeon. If you've got a problem in your heart, he can fix it. He can repair and mend any issue that has damaged your heart and turned it in a way that is not in keeping with the life he intended for you. Scripture tells us that God examines the heart more than he examines any other part of who we are. Because for him, motives, actions, attitudes, all that we experience, all that we express, come and originate in the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7. In this verse, this is the conclusion of a scene where the sons of Jesse have come before the prophet because a new king is going to be anointed. And Jesse brings his many sons, and some of them are tall and good-looking, and of course Samuel is like, well, this must be who, who the new king will be since God had already declared he was not pleased with King Saul. And God said, no, don't look at that. And in verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Aren't you glad for that? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Don't let anyone ever get on you because of what they see on the outside when God is first and foremost examining what's inside your heart. Similarly, Don't be giving people too many props and too much compliment about what they've done on the outside when we don't know what's going on on the inside. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9, the first part of it. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And we all know Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for those about things, about God doing all things for our benefit and for our good to those who are calling to his purpose. Verse 27, though, the verse before it, 
And he who searches our hearts, who knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God searches our hearts. He's concerned with what's going on inside. And one more, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Lord, for the word of the Lord is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The God that we serve is interested. It's what's going on on the inside, in our hearts. Well, it's a lot of things about the heart. And I said there was one more. I really have one more. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Could the word of God be any plainer? Everything you do flows from that which is deep within you. This is the heart of God, the heart of our Father. It's interesting. There is such an effort in many quote-unquote Christian circles to remove any reference to God, even in the Bible, that refers to him as father. But Jesus refers to God as father in just John chapter 14 through 17, 51 times. That's kind of hard to remove and keep to the original. Our father protects us. Our father listens to us. Our heavenly father counsels us and does so many other things. This is our charge to model to the world because so many in our culture today sadly do not have a good earthly role model when it comes to a father. But we can even in those situations go to them and say, but there is a God in heaven who is your heavenly father and will be there for you and will do all the things you need from a father. This is our charge to be a witness of what we see in Jesus. I had a good father. He was not perfect. He had his flaws, and he let me know when I had my flaws. <laughs> I was raised back in the day when I understood the phrase, the belt. I knew what it meant. It wasn't just, ooh, take a look at it. It was, ooh, run for your life. <laughs> and yet, when you were home, where were you going to run? And I learned early in my younger years, because I thought I was a perfect child, but apparently my father didn't. I learned running from the belt just meant when he caught you, you got it that much even more. It's amazing that we call this the good old days. But my father was there. He was present. And that's what we need to convey to people who don't have that. Because God is not some distant deity that's disconnected from our daily existence. He is a loving father who walks with you and talks with you each and every day. That is the heart of God. Not just to be some distant compartmentalized presence in your life. He wants to be there holding your hand and embracing you in every moment of every day through every experience. That's the heart of your heavenly father. Thank God. Thank God. 
So then I turn to the heart of a father. Fathers have become the most debated and controversial roles in our day. Many women have publicly declared as they think about having children that they don't want a man or need a man to be a father to their children. Hollywood portrays most fathers as either inept, at worst, or at best, just not stable. And sadly, many children are forced to grow up without any influence whatsoever, so the only image or influence they have of a father is that of someone who's not there. But Malachi declared that being a father is more than just an idea, more than just a role. And this, again, is the text that ends the New Testament. And it's not just something that slipped out of the prophet's pen as he was beginning to close this book. We need to recapture the godly role of being a loving, caring male influence in our homes, in our communities, and in our culture. Studies continue to show year after year, secular studies, these aren't even done by Christians, but secular studies continue to show over and over again the impact of having a stable father in the home and the impact of having an unstable one. Often sons learn how to treat their wives by how dad treated mom. And often daughters have learned how to be treated as wives by how dad treated mom. This tells me, guys, and by guys, I'm not just talking to biological dads today. Because if you're a man who follows Jesus today, you have influence all around you. You make a difference in your circle and how that circle is shaped. Now, please don't get me wrong. I believe in balance. I always will. Yes, studies have shown what happens when Dad is not there. But I don't believe in the blame game. If you had a poor father figure growing up, you have the power of Jesus to help you overcome that. You can rise above that. But I want to encourage all men today, whether you're here in this building or watching over live stream, I want to encourage all men to be a godly witness in a godless time. I want to encourage all men to demonstrate what being not just a man is, which our culture still, after all these thousands of years, just hasn't figured out. I want to encourage all Christian men about what being not a man, but a man of God is. I want to encourage all men because, guys, you are vital. You're critical. Turning our hearts toward people in general and toward children specifically, is more important than turning our wallets over to our wives. And I'm not sure why, but all I can think of right now is the opening of the Jetsons. And George Jetson turning over his wallet to Jane. But we can get into this mindset where we think that all that matters is what we materially provide. And the best thing you can do and the best thing you can give to anyone is you. Amen. Not things, but you. That's what this world needs. Now, my dad worked a lot. He was a machinist, spent four years in the Air Force where he learned how to do what he did, and spent the next 40 years working very hard labor 
But you know, he was always there at dinner time. Every night. Always came home. He was always there. We didn't do a lot of things as far as sports together. Uh, And I didn't play a lot of sports when I was younger. But when I did occasionally, it was always special when my mom and dad showed up. I remember one season, I must have been 11 or 12. I had signed up for a town league for basketball. And I learned then that God had not gifted me in the sport of basketball. (laughs) That was not going to be my future. They were not going to mention ever my name next to names like Wilt Chamberlain or Michael Jordan. Never going to mention my name. In fact, on the team I played, I was... Let's just say I was not one of the better players. I didn't play a lot, which didn't help me get even better. But I remember one game that I was sitting on the bench in my usual spot, uh, and my mom and dad showed up. And the coach kind of, I guess, felt sorry for me. And he said, hire him, go in. And I was like, what? And for a moment, I thought, go where? You want me to go home? I mean, my parents just arrived. I went into the game, and immediately, I'm not sure how this happened, immediately, I was fouled. So I'm now at the free throw line. I'm like, everybody is watching you. And I made both free throws. An entire 22-game schedule, and I scored two points. (laughs) And I could hear my dad cheering. That makes a difference. Now, my father wasn't the spiritual leader I would have wanted him to be. He didn't actually come to the Lord until two years after my mom passed away. I'm thankful he came to the Lord. So the spiritual leader, as far as a man in my life, wasn't my father. He was my grandfather on my mom's side. My grandfather was an amazing church leader and a church planter. He planted at least a dozen churches in Cuba on various trips where he was very dangerous what he was doing. But he was the spiritual leader, and he taught me what it was to be a man of God. That's the influence, guys, you can have today on anyone. The heart of a father. So I end with the heart of children. There are many phrases that our children use today that demonstrate kind of the whole overarching mindset of what they're about. And one of them that I hear often is simply get connected. That can mean to the internet, that can mean to various social networks or social groups or even to a clique or to a club in school, but about getting connected. It could also mean about various trends or ideas that float throughout society. The question is always to not just, I need to get connected. For me, it's to what are you getting connected? They want to be connected. They want, it's ingrained in their hearts. They want to belong. So church, so guys, let them connect.
to us. Let our young people connect to a godly influence. Let them connect to a loving family. Let them connect to a wholesome church family. Because the goal for them is to get connected, not to us. That's a benefit. But the ultimate goal is not to get connected to us, but to get connected to a heavenly father. Who is a good, good father. I hear so many children, so many young people, even not so many, even so many not so young people will say, you know, even boldly or brashly, their intent is to live forever. Good luck with that. And they'll say, especially when you're young, it's difficult to understand the weight of your own mortality. That's why when something happens to someone so young, it really does stir us because it seems so out of context. And let me be clear, from God's perspective, it is. It, always, it wasn't intended to be that way from the beginning. So young people will often say and often behave like they want to live forever. And I even remember those really short periods of time when I was involved in youth work before I realized God had not called me to youth work. Some saying... How can I live forever? Well, I have an answer for you. How can you have a long life, a long, happy life in God? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. There, you have the secret of a long life, how you treat mom and dad. No one was expecting that. Sadly, being loving and nurturing, and this is the, the cry of many of our hearts, being loving, being nurturing, being godly to our young people, to our kids, doesn't guarantee anything. Some great parents have some really rebellious children. No parent is perfect, so if the only way you're, that you were going to not be rebellious is to have a perfect parent, first of all, you were done from the beginning. Because that was never and should never be a requirement. But fathers, we need to do our best. And children need to do their part and proactively engage in honoring their fathers. Even when it may seem like there's very little to honor. And that doesn't end when they leave this world. My dad died about 12 years ago, and I want to do all I can to honor him. I was asked many years ago, and I'm often asked, because most of you, my name is Hiram H. Claudio Jr., and they'll ask me, are you going to see your dad here or there, or are you going to see him for Father's Day? And I'll mention my dad passed away years ago. And some have questioned, well, then why do you still go by Jr.? It's a common practice that once your dad passes away, you stop using the junior. And I want to always remember that I'm named after someone. I want to always remember this man whose name I carry. So I will be junior. It will say junior on my tombstone, which is not going to be carved for a long, long time. <laughs> but what we want to honor them. That's part of what we do. With Memorial Day, we want to honor those who paid an ultimate sacrifice, many fathers who never returned home. We want to model in not a way that I see today, 
I have to admit, I understand some of the pressures. I believe me, I do. I understand some of the issues that people deal with today, especially young people. Things that, quite frankly, many of us could never have imagined when we were their age. It is a different time. But I still kind of cringe when I see the interactions today between parents and their children, the way they talk to one another. I can't imagine ever talking to my father the way I see people talk to their dads or moms and dads today. That's how come I can give you some commentary on the belt. (laughs) Our model is not the disrespect that is so common. Guys, as fathers and father figures, we're to love and to care for our children, no matter what, whether they're great kids or not so great kids. And children, you need to love and honor your parents, no matter your what. I get it that many have had fathers that did little to inspire, respect, or honor. But we can still look for those areas, small though they might be, and if for no other reason than to be a witness to Jesus, I'm going to show honor and respect, and I can at least in my example show, uh, testify that showing my dad honor and respect may have been a small part, and I'll never forget the night. We were in church at Lighthouse on a Sunday night. My dad had come. And I was up in the sound room, which was up in a room, up in a balcony area somewhere. And the end of the service had come, and Pastor Fox had given an altar call. And without any warning or expectation, all of a sudden, my dad walked up. There were so many factors that factored in that became a part of that decision that he made. So many. I'm sure the the majority of them were my mom's prayers for dozens of years. But it's also the fact that he knew that he had sons that respected him. And that was important to him. Ultimately, no matter what is going on with our earthly fathers, no matter what the reality is with the men of this day, no matter how accurately it would be to denigrate and disrespect many of them, no matter what is wrong with them, I can testify there is nothing wrong with your Heavenly Father. Amen. Nothing whatsoever wrong with the one who created you, with the one who formed you. His love draws us. His power protects us. His presence brings us peace. His words guide us it makes it possible for all of us to say and to sing like we did today, he is a good, good father. Because it's just who he is. It's who he is. And we are loved by him. It's who we are. No matter what you're going through, you have a good, good father. My dad was a good man. And the And thankfully, before he left this world, he became a godly man. I'm thankful for it. He had, at times, a really strange sense of humor. 
which is, I guess, where I get some of it from sometimes. He, would, he was also a wonderful, wonderful cook. Most of the Spanish food we would eat at holidays is food my dad cooked. He was a wonderful cook. But ultimately, all of those attributes that we remember so dearly, when we get to heaven one day, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my Lord? And my dad said yes to Jesus. Men, when you said yes to Jesus, you became unique in this culture. You became unique, um, unique in the church, as I'm going to demonstrate in a few moments when I call all of you up. You remember when I called all the women up on Mother's Day? Church emptied out. I'm going to call all the men in a moment. And it's, as far as the numbers, it's not going to make much difference. Because that's how unique a man of God is today. That's how vital every church, every community, every family needs men of God. And as I can testify from my mother's prayers, ladies, keep praying. Keep praying for the men in your life. Keep praying for the men in your neighborhood. Keep praying for the men on your jobs. Keep praying that God would have his way. Because we have a good, good father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back.